Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker says we have a real problem on our hands. We are seeing substantially more confirmed cases right now than we ever saw in the spring. Illinois officials are sounding the alarm bells that the pandemic is as bad as it has been. Cases continue to climb, as well as COVID-related hospitalizations. And the state's official guidance is clear. Stay home, social distance, stop inviting people over. Joining us now to answer our COVID-19 questions and help us navigate the pandemic, as she does every week, is Dr. Taramina from the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Mia Taramina, welcome. Hey, Justin. Good How to are be you? back. How are you? Everything well. good? You know, I, it feels like it was now six months ago, but I think it was this past Sunday that Mark Meadows, the uh, chief of staff at the White House, went on the Sunday morning talk shows and said, you know, we, we can't really control this thing. We just have to wait for a vaccine. I mean, is that, I mean, are we, where are we at? I mean, obviously there has to be mitigation to, 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 because this is a dangerous situation. But is there some truth in that? Yeah, there is. Uh, there, there is some truth in that. The, the only thing that's going to get us out of this completely is uh, widespread vaccination with uh, an effective vaccine and uh, the appropriate number of people getting vaccinated. So we can, you know, sort of start to achieve that that concept of herd immunity, which really requires a vaccine, not just people getting sick. Um, you know, the numbers are up everywhere. It's it's pretty incredible in the hospitals this morning alone. I think I had seven consults and almost all of them are COVID. It's 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 one of those things that um, we are we are now in a surge that was anticipated this fall, but it is it is proving to be quite the bear. Mm. Uh, we have some calls that are on the line. I'm going to get to them in a second. We also got some great stuff from our uh, social media channels. And I just uh, Suze Martinez uh, asked the question, do we know about the demographics uh, on the rise when it comes to these cases? That's a great question. <laughs> So in the state of Illinois, it is definitely our extended care facilities, nursing homes, assisted living environments, group homes that are seeing the biggest surges. And it's it's not only that these are our most vulnerable, it's the congregate living environments. So this is where we have a a strong push-pull on all these mitigation strategies and closing restaurants and pulling away from allowing our kids to be in school in person when in reality those are much less of a concern for um, spread of the virus than these, you know, assisted living uh, and nursing home facilities. So that is still where the bulk of Mm. these new cases are coming from. Let's start in Bucktown. Cynthia joins us here on Reset. Cynthia, welcome to the program. What's your question? Okay, my question is, I keep hearing situations where spouses are, one is getting sick with COVID and the other one is not sick with COVID, test negative. I'm wondering if the experts have any ideas as to how that's possible when they're sharing a life, sharing a bed. That's the question. Right. Cynthia, thanks so much for that. You know, we are seeing cases like that as well, even among our own uh, staff and employees where one spouse is positive, the other spouse is not. And uh, we do, after 14 days, if the um, uh, asymptomatic spouse uh, tested COVID negative and never developed symptoms, we do check antibodies because occasionally we have a silent antibody former that never developed symptoms and did not test positive for us. But uh, we don't have any particular rhyme or reason for why the uh, one, one individual is infected and another one is 
is not. We anticipate it's most likely because the uh, individual who's sick likely has a lesser viral load and, and maybe isn't actively shedding as much virus. And, and with uh, rapid mitigation and social distancing within the home, as soon as that individual tests positive, if separation can occur in the household, um, you know, we are seeing a good chance of, of avoiding that transmission. You mentioned viral load. That That is something that uh, is new to me, but this idea that there may be some scientists figuring out that the higher viral load, obviously the sicker somebody is, but but that might be why masks are working in the sense that they're mitigating. You're getting less, even, even if you do get infected and get from, from COVID, you might get less because you, you got it while you were masked. Exactly. Yeah. See, I'm learning. All right, let's go, let's go to Patrick, who is in Pilsen. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Good, good. What's your question for Dr. Taramina? Uh, so my question is, um, so my mom was diagnosed three weeks ago, um, as my, was my dad. So this is a great correlation to the last question. So my dad was also diagnosed. Uh, he was hit very hard, very early. He went to the hospital right away, got a remdesivir treatment, went home, and was had been feeling better. My mom, on the other hand, had stayed home, was running a fever the entire time, um, and she was given a Z-Pack and prednisone. I'm not sure why she got the Z-Pack. But anyway, she didn't get any better. It finally took about three weeks until her pulse ox dropped down to 88 before she finally went to the hospital. And um, finally today, she's feeling a little bit better. My question is, at what point when you have someone who is sick at home, do they have to make that call to go to the hospital? Yeah, great, Patrick. Thank you for that. And, and I, I apologize. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that about your family. But uh, Dr. Taramina. The, the, Patrick, this is the exact uh, scenario that, that we have conversations regarding uh, every day. It seems like some of the patients that are hospitalized and get some of the interventions and therapeutics we have available, we are having some very fortunate and brisk outcomes. And then we have these long haulers at home that never necessarily met full criteria for admission, but really kind of limped over the finish line and may have more protracted symptoms. Um, from my standpoint, the absolute threshold for uh, evaluation in an emergency or immediate care setting and potential admission is going to be if that oxygen saturation is dropping. So if you have a pulse ox and we're seeing oxygen go below 94% or the perceived shortness of breath worsening or more uh, frequent breaths per minute, you know, normally we breathe about 16 or 18 times in a minute. So if we have someone breathing 25, 30 times in a minute, that's that's certainly worrisome. Um, uh, otherwise, we do have uh, those individuals who, again, limp across the finish line um, but aren't necessarily meeting criteria for admission. And those, in some ways, are the most frustrating cases because we mm. get, quote-unquote, sicker patients, which seem to get better faster. Dick and Joliet didn't want to go on the air, but his question was this. He's 91 years old. His wife is 90. She's in a nursing home. And the only way he can visit her is to stand outside the window. So with the cold weather coming, and here, it's 35 degrees right now, what can they do? What, can they provide a warm, safe environment to make it safe? Uh, how, how do you do that to communicate safely between Dick and his wife? Oh, Dick, I certainly feel for you. There's, you know, there's so many situations like this where we are separated by, um, you know, by walls and windows from our loved ones. Uh, I would say if you have uh, children or grandchildren that are, you know, up to par on technology, this is where we really need to, you know, get a technological device inside the facility for your wife to use, uh, to, uh, an iPad or a, a phone or some device where you can possibly communicate face-to-face -face using that screen time. That's probably going to be the safest. As these numbers surge, I don't necessarily feel uh, that it's 
it's the safest for a 91-year-old, even in excellent health, to be out and about, but I understand how troubling it can be to miss someone. Uh, make those phone calls every day. Um, talk to the nurses as well and help them uh, have the nurses help your wife communicate with you. And uh, all the best. We will we will get to a finish line soon enough. Yeah. All right, let's go to Twitter. Jen Gillen's on Twitter, and she asked a question uh, no, this is, and this is actually, we've got a couple of these questions just like this. Are, are we heading to a full shutdown again? And that, that's the question that I think we're getting a, a lot of as people start to get curious about what's the next step, especially when, you know, we're having indoor service cut today. Yeah, um, it's possible, and, and that's a big fear. The problem is, is that there is certainly resistance, uh, especially in the um, collar communities around Chicago, against any government mandates and the legality of such. Um, but we may need to get to extreme mitigation measures in order to get to the vaccine, in order to get to the finish line. And, you know, we're at 6.9% rolling positivity. I mean, uh, that's almost 3 or 4% higher than we were at the beginning of this month, 151% increase in cases in Illinois. So this trend is very unfavorable. Again, 8% statewide was that, mm-hmm. that uh, benchmark for going back to phase three really and and, you know and and before it gets political you look at what's happening in europe and and you see that the big countries uh, germany and and other france and spain are 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 going back to lockdown scenarios they're doing the same kind of things we're doing in the united states the same kind of things we're doing in illinois so it's not at the whim of of some governor who might be uh governing a blue or red state this is something that's worldwide and is is following a set protocol Absolutely. The coronavirus does not choose a political party. We have trends that are extremely unfavorable here. There are, you know, certain essential services that need to be prioritized where people need to be at work. And, and, you know, to the extent that it's safe to do so, kids need to be in school. Um, But other than that, we have to sacrifice a lot of the things that we want to enjoy in order to be able to have the things we need to have and enjoy the things we want to enjoy soon enough. But we have to come together and work together on this. So that's really what we need to be paying attention to when for all the people who are calling and texting or, or, or going on social media asking about shutdowns is that the eight percent is when we roll back to phase three and phase three then becomes more of what it was like in in april may that's correct and again i don't know if uh if the governor is going to use the exact same metrics but that eight percent number is is certainly threatening so um that's that's what i'm worried and the way we've you know had an uptick week over week in october we could easily reach that by you know within the month of november all right let's keep going here and let's go to matt who is standing by in naperville matt welcome to the program hey thanks guys um you know my question is i got fairly sick uh, towards the end of february and early march and I felt, you know, after everything came out that it may have been COVID because I, I normally don't get sick at all. Uh, thankfully, everything was fine. But um, what are the options for getting tested for potentially having COVID in the past? And if you do test positive, what, what, what does that mean? Thanks, Matt. Yeah, Matt, that's a great question. Um, I have many patients that are insistent that they had a COVID-like illness in January, February, March before testing was readily available. We do have antibody testing, so you can get an antibody checked. At this point, you're more than 90 days out from your initial potential infection. So even if you still are antibody positive, we don't know the reliability of those antibodies beyond 90 days. There's, you know, mounting evidence to suggest we might have a little longer protective immunity, but again, 
again, it's not definitive. We also, um, you might not have antibody. If your antibody is negative, you either had the virus and your antibody has waned and you no longer have antibodies or you never had the virus. And either way, um, I, I would say since you're 90 days from that potential infection, same protocol, don't regard yourself as, as uh, being immune to anything at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to some of our social media questions. We got a lot of social media questions this week, which is uh, new for us, which is great. On our Instagram feed, uh, we had from Tom uh, said, is this, is this really a third wave? Can we expect it to mirror what happened in 1917 with the Spanish flu, trend-wise? Is this going to be the same kind of thing? So this is not the third wave. Unfortunately, uh, we are in the first wave. This is this is mm. maybe the third surge within that first wave, but we never truly left our first wave. Um, I think that things are different uh, in, in terms of the Spanish flu comparison uh, because of the fact that, um, you know, we are going to have vaccines. And, and that's something that wasn't available uh, in terms of, uh, you know, something in 1918. So, Vaccines are going to turn the tides on this. If we have safe, effective vaccines widely distributed and widely given, um, uh, we should be able to, you know, reach the other side of this without having periods of time where we get down to almost no transmission, followed by dramatic surges like was seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And so, when does a sur- when does a wave stop and the second one starts? Technically, you would need to be under 1% circulating viral transmission. Um, That's really hard to achieve. In the absence of vaccine, you would need time, a lot of time. And again, the concept of herd immunity being achieved without vaccine is is troublesome. You know, this could really be a prolonged thing, you know, if we don't have vaccine working. And again, we know we're just going to be into November, into month 10 of this. We're looking at at least a two-year duration uh, without vaccine. Vaccine, but thankfully, we will have vaccine. Yeah, let's go to Lewis, who's standing by in Uptown. Lewis, welcome to the program. Hello, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I wanted to know. I live in a high rise. I want. I wanted to know if there's a filtration system that would actually help uh, purify the air, or if it would even help uh, at all. Thank you. Great question. So I, the the jury is still out on the actual um, evidence base and science behind using filtration systems, but we are seeing some benefits um, with uh, people adding HEPA filters. We are seeing outstanding numbers coming out of our airlines. Uh, airline travel appears to be relatively safe with mask wearing and frequent circulation of the air. So uh, purchasing a uh, ancillary HEPA filtration system uh, for your apartment out of an abundance of caution is not unreasonable. It's certainly not going to to worsen your chances, and it, all science seems to be pointing towards uh, that being of benefit. We just don't know exactly how much. Hmm. Let's go back to our social media feeds. This is from Melissa on Facebook. She says, with Election Day coming up, what recommendations do you have for people who are going to vote, as well as for those who are working the polls? She says she's going to be working at one of the poll sites. It's a long day to be inside with people, even social distancing and masks being put in place. So how how often should she pause to wash her hands, use hand sanitizer, that kind of thing? Uh, definitely with a frequent use of hand sanitizer. I mean, I, I was able to vote this week and the setup was wonderful. There was definite social distancing. There was mask wearing by all pollsters. Uh, hopefully you're in a uh, uh, facility where there's plexiglass or some sort of divider between uh, you and the public um, and spacing yourself behind that table or plexiglass as best you can from uh, other volunteers would be beneficial. Definite mask wearing the entire time. Um, and I 
would be using hand sanitizer, not necessarily after every single interaction, but very frequently. I mean, several times an hour, you should be using that hand sanitizer. Mm. This would be a good time for if you are a polling worker to be OCD, right? This would be where you <laughs> Absolutely. constantly do that. Yeah, I know that very well. That's something that, uh, that we do. All right, so another question from social media. This is from Sandra. She wants to know, how do we stay safe if we're already doing the things? Right. That's a great point. Like uh, we're already uh, social distancing. We're wearing our masks, but the, but the risk is still high. Yeah, and that's and that's it. We're we're having these gaps in in you know being vigilant and um, individuals that are doing everything right. Um, all of the positive cases that we've had amongst our staff and employees, even at DuPage Medical Group, in the last couple of weeks, almost all of them have occurred outside of the workplace. When you let your guard down a little bit, you think you're with uh, a group of neighbors that everyone's feeling fine until you find out that someone wasn't, and and it's the the amount of uh, spread we're happening, you know, at this point, we're still seeing every person who's infected theoretically spreading it to two or three people. You know, that, that number we've talked about in the past is, uh, is higher than we'd like it to be. Um, I think the other, the other frustrating one, and this is really difficult because again, I, I feel for these restaurants and stuff, 60 to 70% of people who test positive for COVID endorse eating indoors in a restaurant within the past week. So uh, we do know that even though uh, the major trends are towards our nursing facilities and things like that, there is a, a considerable risk of, of being indoors and unmasked, even though you're only eating. So limit the numbers of people that you're around. It, you know, it seems silly to be around your own family mm-hmm. and friends indoors and wearing a mask, but you need to be. Well, Corvin and Westchester hung up, but he kind of points to this, uh, the, the idea of restrictions. And we're seeing this today. The Illinois Restaurant Association this morning at a press conference and was pushing back and said they're going to look at legal action to try and keep some of the restaurants open indoors. Uh, but, but his point is, is, is one that, that is kind of along ideological or political lines saying we should give the public all the information they need to make their own decisions, but there shouldn't be restrictions. What do you say to that as a doctor? It's 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 really challenging. I I'm I'm understand autonomy and I understand wanting to make uh, decisions for yourself. The unfortunate reality in a pandemic is that your personal decision does affect other people. It doesn't just affect you, uh, and that's the problem. You know, going into a restaurant and dining uh, may be a non-issue for you, uh, but you may be the one shedding the virus and exposing other people and not know it. And that's where we have a problem. Autonomy sort of um, sort of has a bit of a a speed bump and we have to have pause when we realize that our personal decisions do directly impact others and uh, that's that's a pretty significant thing and and we all need to come together and do our part yeah Uh, let's go back to the phones let's go to Wilmette Diane standing by in Wilmette Diane welcome to reset Diane you there hello there we go hi Diane welcome to the show what's your question for Dr. Taramina my question is this. We have my 89-year-old mother-in-law is in an Alzheimer's facility in Milwaukee. She tested positive for COVID, um, and 25 of the other residents have also tested positive. But what's interesting is this would have been, like, fatal, you know, in March or April. So many deaths, and everybody seems to be fine. So my question is, is it possible the virus is mutating and becoming less severe, less fatal? That's a good question. Thanks, Diane. 
that's a great question. Um, that is the tendency uh, toward viral pandemics, that they do start to dumb down a bit and, and cause less of an issue. But I would also say that we've optimized protocols. Even in our nursing facilities, we have more um, liberal use of, of steroids and anti-inflammatories early on when need be. We are using supplements, especially in nursing facilities, that have had some benefit uh, in these cases. And, and adhering to protocols and knowing the trends as to when someone is, seems to be sicker and and maybe at risk of having a more challenging course and getting them the help that they need sooner is allowing for sort of a more mild pattern that we are seeing in our nursing facilities. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I wonder about that, too, because I think I mentioned to you at one point or another, I talked to my primary physician and, and he was like, well, you know, the viruses can be smart in the way that they early on, it was fatal. And then they were like, oh, we're dead. <laughs> and, and they figured out to keep a, a host alive means they get to stay alive. There, there is definitely some concept to that. And we are seeing that. We're seeing um, more people. You know, these numbers are, are huge. And, and yes, we absolutely, our hospitals are busy right now. Um, but we are, are in general seeing a more mild course than we saw. And again, I think it's all all comers, all things considered, whether it's uh, the therapeutics that we have working better, the management working better, or the virus itself uh, kind of giving a little more mild of a course. But yeah. we can't we can't open the yeah, floodgates. Right. We still have to be cautious. All right, let's go to Kevin, who's in River North. Kevin, welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm actually going to piggyback right on Diane's question because uh, I don't know if this was luck mm-hmm. or your call screener. Um, I follow the Chicago uh, dashboard, the COVID-19 dashboard, and I know back in April and May, we were having about 340 deaths per week. Last week, thankfully, there were only 20 deaths. So case fatality now at about 0.5%. The metrics we're using to reopen, we're looking at case positivity. We're looking at case numbers, you know, as raw numbers. Um, I guess the question has been answered by your guest about how are people doing better and why are people living living more often – Will case fatality become one of the metrics we use for reopening? That's um, the question. Kevin, that's, that's the question. That's the, that's the question, question. We, need to, we need to figure out, all of us living right now. You know, the, the challenging part about that is that the, the fatality lags behind the case counts. And um, we, we may absolutely see more patients uh, pass away from this virus in the coming weeks because they um, are not necessarily going to be someone who tests positive and passes away quickly. That happened a little bit more in the spring, but we have patients that kind of hobble along for, you know, 7, 10, 14 days and, and seem to be doing better and then sort of have uh, critical uh, instances instances that happen uh, farther along in their course. And, you know, we also still are uh, just beginning to grasp not those who pass away and not those who have full recovery. It's those ones that have that the significant morbidities and the and the prolonged illnesses and prolonged hospitalizations where they are quote unquote surviving. So they're not in our death statistic, but they are you know absorbing so much of our healthcare needs and energies. And if we overwhelm our system with that, that's challenging. Mm-hmm. The whole point of mitigation is to try to not overwhelm our our available, um, you know, health systems. So it's going to be tough to use. Well, not as many people are dying, so we should just keep everything open. But we are mindful of that. Yeah. And our last question here is we've got a minute left is really just uh, this is from Instagram as well. How near or how far away are we from what people are talking about saying herd immunity in the U.S.? Is that a thing that that at some point as these numbers continue to go up is a reality for this country? 
Uh, herd immunity is going to require a vaccine. The concept of achieving herd immunity without a vaccine means millions and millions of deaths, and, and that's not an acceptable um, strategy. It's not a reasonable strategy. Um, vaccine is coming. Uh, we should probably have a vaccine in uh, under emergency use authorization by the third week in November, which means that by December, uh, we are going to have hundreds of thousands of doses. And some of these vaccine companies are saying by uh, January, February, there could be millions and millions of doses uh, all over the, the all right. nation and all over the world. So we will get there with vaccine, but it's going to take a while even after vaccine is launched. For more Reset interviews, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating that helps other listeners find us. For more about the program, you can head over to the WBEC website or follow us on Twitter at WBEC Reset. That's it for Reset this Sunday. I'm Justin Kaufman. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.